dawn of the new year, I thought we would jump into a new series, just reminding ourselves of why we are here as a church, why we're here in the city of fate, and what God has commissioned us to do. And so over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at this series of messages entitled Mission Critical. And so we'll be reminding ourselves of our mission and then the, also of the resources and the rhythms that are necessary to accomplish and see that mission unfolded here within our community. And so there's really no better place to start in a series of messages along those lines than to remind ourselves of why we're here. And so in Matthew 28, we'll pick up in verse 16, read down through verse 20. This is after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected before he ascends as he gathers with the disciples on the mountain in Galilee. And this is what was recorded for us in Matthew's gospel, beginning in verse 16 of Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now as Brian referenced earlier as he was beginning to lead us in prayer, there are many folks across um, our nation and even across the globe who have made New Year's resolutions. Anybody ever made a New Year's resolution before? So, see, see my resolution this year is to work on your responsiveness, right? <laughs> see, the responsive part where you actually raise your hand and say, yes, I've made it. That's my resolution. We're going to get after it in 2019. Um, but most of us have probably made some sort of New Year's resolution at some point in our past. Uh, and most of us, after making that resolution, one week in, have probably failed to keep the resolution, right? That's just the reality of making those resolutions. But most of our resolutions revolve around things like physical fitness, right? The amount of weight that we would like to lose, the amount of strength that we would like to gain, the amount of endurance we would like to build, right? Or they revolve around financial fitness, the amount of debt we would like to pay off, the amount of savings we would like to incur, the growth of our net worth, the shrinking of our waistline, right? That's kind of where most New Year's resolutions revolve. Can we shrink our waist and grow our net worth? But listen, this morning, whether, whether you've walked in the room and you're like, man, I got the freshman 15, right? Or you've got baby weight that you're trying to get rid of, ladies, or sympathy weight for those of you men, right? Who are like, I'm just going to eat with you, babe, right? I'm just going to keep pounding it, right? And so maybe you've got the senior 60. I don't know what you've got to lose or what it is that you're trying to pay off or what it is that you're trying to save. But I want you to know there's something weightier than your weight to give your life to in 2019, and I want you to know there's something more valuable than the increase of your net worth to give your life to in 2019 as well. And it's captured for us in this text that we've just read this morning in Matthew chapter 28. It's the commission that Jesus gives to his disciples prior to his ascension, whenever he instructs them about what their lives are to be about, what he has prepared them for, what he has equipped them to do, and what he's now commissioning them to go forth and, and accomplish. It's the mission of the church and it's why we are here. It's why every church in every generation and every geographic location, all peoples in all places at all times, it's why every church has existed, it's why every church does exist, and why every church will exist. And very simply, what Jesus says here about our mission is this, that our mission, the reason we're here, our mission is disciple making. That's why the church exists. 
Our mission is disciple-making. In verse 19, Jesus says, it's to make disciples of all nations. Of all nations. That's the reason that we exist. Now listen, Jesus does not say in Matthew 28 that the church is this great eternal humanitarian organization. Nor does he say that the church is this great eternal social club. Listen, there's a lot of great humanitarian organizations that exist, like the Red Cross nationally, that leverages resources and cares for uh, communities after natural disasters strike. There's great local humanitarian organizations like Helping Hands that collect and distribute tons of food annually to the under-resourced in our community. There's great social clubs that exist. Right? There's people who connect over all kinds of hobbies and interests. Right? There's people who connect on social media, at CrossFit gyms, in running clubs, on fishing forums, on hunting trips, at community craft stuff, right? The crafting community, right? They might connect together at bunko nights or in bingo halls. You're like, bingo halls? Yep, maybe so, right? There, there are social outlets that exist, so the church does not exist to create a social outlet for people. The church does not exist to be a humanitarian or relief organization either. The church exists, the church exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's why the church is here. We're to be, uh, our mission is to be disciple makers. See, when you read the storyline of the Bible, what you, what you discover is this, is that God in His gracious sovereignty, that from the fall of our first parents in the garden, God has been on a mission to mark out a people for Himself, a people for His own possession, a treasured possession out of all the peoples on the earth. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, it was a people, an ethnic people, the Jewish people, that were to be a light to the nations. They were to bless the world, as God says to Abram whenever he calls him. That he calls him not merely to be blessed, but to be a blessing to the nations, to all the peoples of the earth. You get to the New Testament, and you find that what God is doing is he's gathering for himself, marking out for himself a people from among every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity, every social economic class, every person, every, every people group that God is marking out a people for himself, that he's making a people from among all peoples for his glory, for his honor, that they might know the generosity and the graciousness of this good God. That's what God is, is doing over the course of redemptive history. That people would know the greatness of His grace, the magnificence of His mercy as displayed in Christ and applied to their lives by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what He's up to. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 28, 19, that we're to make disciples of all nations, He says, I want you... 11, and by extension, all those who would walk as disciples of Jesus subsequent to them to be a part of this great mission as well. To give your life to something weightier than your weight and to invest your life in something greater than your net worth for the duration of your life. And that's why we're here, church. We're here to make disciples. See, in 2015, um, at the end of 2015, 
we moved from a retreat center property just south of Royce City um, and, and all the history that that entailed to this location, right? And we moved into this daycare, this, temp, this, this, this place that we get to lease space from. And they let us do all kinds of work in here to make it easier, but it's a, it's a Lord willing, a temporary home for a season as we look to engage this community that God has planted us in. And one of the reasons that we came here to fate was because, I told some people this, we wanted to get to a place where there were more cows than people in the general proximity, right? And moving from the country into a more developing suburban context. Because in the year 2000, the city of fate was 600 people. Today, 18 years later, it's hovering around 14,000 people. By 2030, it'll be between 20 and 25,000 people. Situated in the heart of Rockwall County that is also fastly, quickly expanding and growing exponentially, right? In, in the year 2000, uh, it was, or I'm sorry, in 2015, Rockwall County was around 96,000 people. Today, it has crushed the 100,000 barrier, and by 2030, it's projected to be around 170,000 people. It's growth. Like, if you, if you don't like growth, then you're in the wrong place, right? Because this area is continuing to expand economically. Houses are being built. Businesses are being developed. Land is turning over, right? All that, that used to be green grass is now turning into brown dirt. And they're about to put gray concrete on top of it and build more homes and more businesses and more streets and more roads and more infrastructure. And God moved us in 2015 into the heart of this rapidly expanding community with a mission, a mission of making disciples of all men and women that God is moving to this area. I don't believe it's by coincidence or by chance or by fate, although we are in fate, that God brought us here for this season. You can drive seven minutes or, 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 or seven to 10 miles in either direction before you hit a real vibrant, growing church. There is no church in the heart of this growing community that is for this community. There are no neighborhood churches here that's engaging the community as it grows around them. And that's why I believe God brought us here with a mission, with a mission of making disciples. So what is a disciple? Jesus says to make disciples of all nations. He has situated us here to be a part of the unfolding of that disciple-making endeavor in our context. So what is a disciple? Well, a disciple is this. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. A disciple is someone who orders their everyday life around the message and the mission of Jesus. That's a disciple. See, a disciple in the New Testament, in their culture, would have been the, would have been the follower of a rabbi, the follower of a teacher. And that disciple would have gone everywhere the teacher went. That disciple would have done everything the teacher did. That disciple would have listened, would have responded, would have yielded, would have submitted to their rabbi would have eaten with them, would have traveled with them, would have listened to them teach, would have been mentored and, and had seen things modeled by them. Right, that's what a disciple is, a learner. And then someone who not only learns intellectually, but they can begin to order their life around the message and the mission of the one whom they are following. And it's not just in these extraordinary times where we might go off to other countries or off to other cities right, to be on mission, but it's everyday, ordinary life in the place that God has planted us 
that we're beginning to order that life around the message and the mission that Jesus has of marking out a people for himself by his mercy and grace to make a people from among all peoples. That's what a disciple is. They order their everyday, ordinary life around his message and his mission. So as a result, they end up siding with Jesus at times against themselves, against their own desires, saying no to themselves to say yes to God. Right? So they, they, they uncap their yes to God and say, God, wherever, whatever, whatever conversation you want me to have today, to whomever you would send me today, God, make me sensitive to those who are around me to lean into those rather than away from them. God, let me uncap my yes to you and say, yes, God, whatever you would want to use my life, I want to pour it out for the sake of your mission. This day, in my office, in my home, in my neighborhood, so they side with Jesus against themselves and they serve Jesus instead of themselves. See, their life is being reoriented. It has a new true north. No longer is the true north in their life self. But it's God and his, his purposes and His plans as they unfold. Right? And so a disciple is, they, is someone ordering their everyday life around Jesus' message and mission as they side with Him against themselves, as they serve Him instead of themselves. And they do so to his glory and to the good of everyone around them. And Jesus says, go and make disciples. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here, church. So we're not here. Like our mission is disciple making. It's not to market a particular brand. Okay, let me just say that. We're not marketing a brand. We're not marketing goods and services. And so as we try to establish a gospel witness in the heart of this community that is making disciples and seeing men and women whose lives are being ordered around Jesus' message and mission, siding with Him, serving Him to His glory and the good of the world, we're not just marketing a brand. We're not saying, come to us because we have better goods and services than the church down the street. Right? And so our aim as we, as we seek to be disciple, a disciple-making church in the heart of this growing community is not to produce goods and services to compete and grab our market share of all the other Christians who are moving into this town. Somebody should have said amen right there. So we're not trying to compete for market share of other... Not, and it, it, it's going to naturally happen as, as, as believers move into a new place. We're going to be looking for a church. We're going to see some transfer growth, but our goal is not to compete with other existing churches here to draw their members away to come be a part of what we're doing. If that's what we're doing, we're just taking the same deck of 52 cards and we're just reshuffling them and dealing them in different places. But what we want to see are people whose lives are crossing over from death to life from darkness to light, from despair to hope. And they're being formed into the image of Christ. Right? Dawn Haglin, she said it this way. She, she said, listen, marketing, promotion, advertising, consumerism, selfish materialism. I'm not sure the church is much different than the American culture. I find that sad, disappointing, and disturbing. Church has become a place of consumeristic wants. People come to get their needs met. The church is about giving people what they want, making them comfortable. Maybe we've reached more people, but I'm skeptical if we participated in transforming lives. 
is a scathing indictment on much of the contemporary church culture in America. Is that maybe they've grown a more massive footprint, but have they really participated in seeing lives changed and transformed? And listen, listen, this, this mission of disciple making in the buckle of the Bible belt presents its own unique challenges. Because there are many people who live here who think that they are followers of Jesus, they're disciples, but because they've grown up in church or because they attend church. But in reality, their ordinary everyday life is not ordered around his mission or his message. They don't see themselves through the lens of a gospel identity, and nor do they see others through that lens as well. So it presents its own unique challenges. And yet, this is the that God has given us. And so how do we go about accomplishing this mission? How do we make disciples and see not just us capturing a larger market share of Christians who are already in our community, but seeing people make the crossover from death to life, darkness to light, despair to hope, and become disciples and followers of Jesus who are ordering their life around Him. Around Him. How do we go about doing that? At Redeemer, we talk about three S's. Three S's. The first S is, we talk about sharing, shaping, and sending. That first S is this, it's sharing. See, the first step toward disciple-making is having a gospel witness in the life of another person that God would use to bring about their conversion. Their conversion. Okay? Them crossing the bridge of faith. See, in verse 19, Jesus refers to the baptism of new disciples who would go public with their faith through the waters of baptism of saying, I'm dying to myself, being raised to walk in the newness of life, right? I'm siding with Jesus against myself. I'm dying to myself, living this new life, right? And so that comes on the heels of their conversion, of the good news coming to them through someone else that God has sent to bring it to them, and then responding in faith and embracing this good and gracious and merciful God who's revealed Himself in His Son, the Holy Spirit opening their eyes and them saying, yes, I want to lay my life down for this one who's laid His life down for me. I want to yield myself to Him. I trust Him. I want to give all of my life for all of my life to Him. Come under His gracious rule and reign. Right? Jesus speaks of conversion when he speaks of baptism. Right? And so the first step in making disciples is sharing this good news that we ourselves have received. Right? So if we're, if we're going to be a church that doesn't just grow through capturing market share, we've got to be a church that grows through sharing. And I, I, I wonder... I wonder if in 2019, if we as a church body, those of us whom God has brought here, I wonder what would happen if we would become serious about praying for the lost in our community. What would happen if we became serious about praying not only for them, but for ourselves and for the courage to engage in conversation? And pray, become serious about praying for opportunities to open our mouth and not only speak about 
in our church, which I hope that you would invite people to come to Redeemer, but also speak about our God. This one who has graciously laid his life down for us. What might God do? What might God do in your neighborhood? What might God do in your family? What might God do in your office? What might God do in your spheres of influence? If in 2019 you said, I want to be a part of disciple making, I want to be a part of introducing people to Jesus, and and that first step of sharing the good news of Christ with them. See, if we're not a church that's sharing, we're not a church that's constantly has the name of Jesus on our lips as we engage other people, then here's what we will end up creating here at Redeemer. We'll create a little enclave for ourselves where we focus exclusively on avoiding sin and sinners. We'll create an enclave for ourselves in which all of our programming and events will focus on people who are already here and there will be no on-ramps for people to meet Jesus or to get connected into the life of the church. Who is it in 2019 that you need to pray for? Some of you, God might be bringing that person to mind in this moment. And what would happen if the 50 or 60 folks who call Redeemer home were to pray for and share the gospel with one person in 2019? What would happen? I mean, I, I like to dream about what would happen. See, the first step of disciple making is sharing. Second step of, that we talk about here at Redeemer is shaping. Shaping. Again, in verse 19, Jesus says there's a teaching component to disciple making. There's a teaching component to it. He says, I want you to teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And this teaching component that Jesus speaks of is not merely an intellectual component, but it's more of a volitional component. They would begin to observe the things that I've commanded you. Not just know about them, but do them. To carry them out. And so one of the, but, but in order to carry them out, you, you must first know them. And so there's certain convictions that people need to be instructed in. There's certain competencies that they need to develop and there's certain character that they need to exhibit. Right? And so when we think about teaching, a teaching ministry or a teaching component to disciple making, there's teaching theological convictions, certain things that are just true about God and true about us and true about life because God has created us and revealed it to us in His Word. See, I wonder how many of us in the room have been, would say, I've been Christian, a Christian for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, and I've never read any book on theology. Not even a primer, like a little coffee table sized Cliff Notes version of a, of a theological work. But I've been a Christian for a very long time. See, there's certain, some of us in the room, in order for us to become disciple makers, we have to be discipled ourselves. 
We need to come under good teaching. We need to come under some instruction on what are some of the core convictions that we hold as Christians and as a church. And in 2019, we're exploring and thinking about ways that we can become better at equipping those of you who need to be equipped theologically to be able to train you in that. Right? Life group settings may not be the best venue for that to take place because there's certain things that you can do better in a living room and certain things you can do better in a classroom. And so we're thinking about how do we become better at teaching some of those core convictions so that people are grounded in what they believe as we aim to make disciples. See, everything that we do as a church should be funneled through this mission that God has given us of disciple making. So there's a convictional component. There's also competencies that need to be taught, right? So as you think about how do I begin to, how do I teach somebody how to study the Bible if you've never been taught how to study the Bible yourself? Right, so there's certain things that you need to learn how to do. That's why last year in the Renew courses that we taught, we taught a class on Bible study methods. We taught people how to observe the Scriptures, how to, how to, how to, how to, how to interpret the Scriptures, how to apply the Scriptures in their lives. And so that's something that's reproducible. And so sitting under that kind of training and learning those kinds of competencies. Some of you may attend BSF and you get, you're getting teaching and training there with some of the theological and biblical knowledge, maybe even some of the competencies that you're receiving. Let me ask you this question. See, what are you doing with that? Is it a book that goes on a shelf? Or a binder that goes on a shelf? Or are you taking that and saying, my mission is not just to be like the Dead Sea, right? You know, you know why the Dead Sea is dead? Because it has no outlet. There is no exit point. It has all this being dumped into it, but nothing that is funneling out of it. And so it grows stagnant. The salt content is so dense that you can just float on top of the water without even trying. Right? And nothing can live there. Nothing can grow there because there's no output. And so if you're going to BSF, if you're going to renew courses, if you're sitting in sermons, you're in life groups, what is the output of that in your life? As you're growing in convictions, as you're growing in competencies, are you taking those things that you are learning and becoming one who would disciple others? And then there's also a character component to this as well. Right? And oftentimes that character component doesn't come through sitting in a classroom. It doesn't come through being trained in competencies or convictions. It comes through modeling and mentoring. It comes through rubbing shoulders with people who can speak into your life. People that you're willing to operate in the open with who can instruct you, who can challenge you, things that you can catch, some things that are just caught rather than taught, you know? As you watch somebody do something, as you walk alongside of them, and you see how they engage in a certain conversation, and you're learning how to engage in those conversations there. Or you see how they plan an event, and you're learning how to plan that event. Or you see how they open themselves up to other people and make themselves accessible and available, and you're learning how to do that by watching them. You're, they're modeling it for you all a part of disciple making of your life being shaped with certain character and convictions and competencies that are able to be leveraged to make disciples because all that that's being poured into you is is not being poured into you with the intention of staying in you so there's a shaping step to this as well so sharing, shaping, 
And then third, sending. There's a sending component. This, if, if shaping is about convictions and competencies and character and sharing is about conversions, then sending is about a commission. See, Jesus says in verse 18, he says, go. He says, go. Now, there are many people who look at that and say, well, that's a participle in the Greek which modifies the verb make disciples. And so what it means is as you are going throughout your life, you make disciples. I don't think that's the weight that that grammar carries in the text. I think it actually carries the weight of another command in the text, an actual imperative. What, so what Jesus isn't saying, saying, well, just as you have opportunity in your free time, in your discretionary time, you go make disciples. When it's convenient, when it's comfortable, when it's easy, then go ahead and lean into it. What Jesus is saying is issuing a command and saying, move into every sphere and every relationship that you have in your life with the intention of making disciples. Whether that be in the process of sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, or that be in the process of teaching and training an existing believer. That you move into every sphere, every relational context with this intentionality of being sent and living a sent kind of life. Right? This is, this is, this is the weight that it carries here. In John 20, 21 to 22, we find G John's record of the commissioning of Jesus' disciples. And listen to what he says there to them. Right? All of a sudden, they're, they're, they're in a, the, a room gathered, and Jesus just, boom, shows up. And they're freaking out, man. They're like, mind's blown. Here he is. And Jesus says, listen, don't be afraid. Peace be with you. And then he says in verses 21 and 22, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. John says, listen, or Jesus says in John's gospel, in the same way that I've been sent into the world, I'm sending you into the world. Because they were huddled behind closed doors, afraid for what the crowds outside of those doors would do to them. Right? That they might do the very thing that they had done to Jesus to them. And so they're cowering in fear, and Jesus shows up and says, listen, I'm going to commission you. Not only am I going to commission you, but I'm also going to give you the power in order to carry out the commission when he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid of what they're going to do to you. In fact, that is probably the greatest hang-up that most of us in this room have when it comes to the making of disciples and the carrying out of our mission is the fear of men. We're afraid what other people will think. We're afraid of what other people will say. We're afraid of how other people will respond. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor and he said, he said it this way. He, he speaks of this and he says, we're so reluctant to displease men and so desirous to keep in credit and faith with them that it makes us most unconscionably neglect our known duty. A foolish physician he is and a most unfaithful friend that will let a sick man die for fear of troubling him. And cruel wretches are we to our friends that we will rather suffer them to go quietly to hell than we will anger them or hazard our reputation with them. 
says, because we're so afraid of what we appear to be before men, we stay silent. We're more concerned about our reputation than we are about their soul. Yet Jesus says, go. You're like, well, I'm just an ordinary person. You know what? So were they. They were not the religious elite of their day. In fact, they had been rejected by the other rabbis. Because in Jesus' day, everybody got primary schooling up to a certain point. We had to memorize all kinds of scripture. And then the real, like the varsity kids moved on to be trained under the other rabbis. And everybody else, they told, go apply your father's trade. You didn't cut the mustard, so go be a carpenter. Go be a fisherman. Go be whatever you're going to be. A tanner, right? Go do what your father has done. And so all these men that Jesus goes around the countryside collecting as he calls them to be his disciples were not the people that the rabbis had said, you've got potential. They were the people that the rabbis said, you don't have potential. Go and just do an or- work an ordinary job, have an ordinary life. And those are the ones Jesus is commissioning. In fact, the ones he's commissioning, look at what he says to Look at what we're told about them. Matthew tells us, he says, as they were gathered there on the mountain Galilee, he says, they were gathered worshiping Jesus, but somewhat doubted. Here they're seeing the resurrected Jesus. And some are like, I'm not real sure. There's some smoke and mirrors. What's going on here? Some doubted. That word literally in the Greek means they were slow to believe. And listen, some of you are so, and, and, can't just say you. I gotta look in the mirror. So we're so we are so slow to believe at times that God could use us in the life of our neighbor, in the life of the of the family in our child's class that's going through a divorce. Listen, I don't know about you, but it seems like now that I'm in my early 40s, we've kind of hit another wave of threshold where families are crumbling all around us. And we wonder, how could, I, I just, I want, I'm afraid of what they're going to think. So I'm going to stay silent instead of leaning in and being a part of the disciple making for some who are hopeless. So don't look in the mirror and say, I'm just an ordinary guy, I'm just an ordinary girl, I've got an ordinary job, I haven't been to seminary. That's where these guys were. And yet God used them to write church history. Think about it. So this is the way that we make disciples. It's through sharing. It's through shaping. It's through sending. And so listen, church, as we close this morning, what I want to say to you is this. This is the weightier, more valuable thing to give your life to in 2019. It's weightier than your weight. It's more valuable than your net worth. So give your life to it. Give your life to it. Listen, it is the antidote for your boredom. Okay? We, we live in a culture in which boredom is... rapidly increasing. Apathy is rapidly increasing. Anxiety is rapidly increasing. 
And listen, I want to say, some anxiety is physiological. There's chemical imbalances in your body that need to be treated. But listen, some of it comes from the fact that we're not, we, we have, we're not living for something bigger than ourselves. Our life just terminates on ourselves. So we get bored so easily. And we think that a Netflix subscription and screen time is going to cure our boredom. And I see it in my children, right? The holidays have been rough, man. They've been home. And so as they've been home, right, um, as we've been traveling and, 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 and going to family houses, right, there hasn't been as closely of a monitoring of the screen time as there usually is when we're within our four walls and under our roof. And I can see it in our kids. When they have more screen time than what they need, they set the screen down, they look at you and they say, what? I'm bored. Because there's nothing bigger I'm living for. So why not give your life to something bigger in 2019? Give your life to something much bigger. And listen, there's, let me give you a couple practical ways to do this. There's no better place to do this in the life of our church right now than within our kids' ministry. No matter whether you've got an infant or whether you've got grandkids that are infants. There is no better place for you to give your life to disciple making in the life of our church right now than in our kids' ministry. Of sitting and rocking babies and praying over them and reading scripture over them in the nursery. Of sitting with those preschoolers and teaching just the fundamental, simple lessons of, of, of our faith sitting with the grade schoolers and helping them begin to process and, and challenge them to memorize scripture and challenge them to apply the word in their own context in their lives. To step up into a classroom every Sunday or to come join me. That's right, I'm going to be teaching the, the, the preteen ministry every Wednesday night. So come hang out with us, right? We need small group leaders in there to help take that and press it into the lives of our fourth through sixth graders. We need people who are going to be like, hey, I'll come rock climb with you guys. I'll come, right, go, go bowling with you guys. I'll hang out and build relationships with those fourth through sixth graders in our church to begin to invest in them to make disciples. So see our kids' lives ordered around the every, everyday, ordinary life ordered around the message and mission of Jesus. To see them wrestle with siding with Jesus against themselves and serving Jesus instead of themselves to push back against this culture of consumer mentality. It'd be a beautiful thing to see a generation rise up. Rise up against that. So for some of us, it's the kids' ministry. For some of us, we just need to be baptized. Let's speak to that for a minute. Like for some of us, our, our own discipleship is stunted because we've yet to publicly say, I'm, I'm siding with Jesus against myself. I'm dying to myself, being raised to live this new life that Jesus has given me. Right? Maybe we've been a Christian for a number of years and we, if somebody asks us, we say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And yet we've never entered the waters of baptism. We've never publicly said yes. Publicly uncapped our yes to God. For some of us, we need to be equipped to share. You're like, I want to share my faith, but I don't know how. Let us help you with that in 2019. Right? At the end of this service, come to me at the glass doors out there and say, Shannon, help me learn to share my faith in 2019. 
And for every person who says that I will commit to meet with you, we will get a class together, and we will walk through how is it that we be, uh, become a sharing church as we become a bunch of sharing Christians. For some of us, we need to be, be, be shaped through teaching and training and modeling. Right? We've offered Renew classes throughout 2018, and we, they started off with a bang. And it's like, as we entered the, the end of the year, right? Every time we, a new quarter rolled around, there was less and less people that showed up for them. And we're creating environments and venues for people to be shaped. Leverage those. Take advantage of them. And then live as one who is sent. Begin to pray for your neighbors. Pray for your family members. Pray for those people in your life. Yes, invite them to the church. But pray for opportunities around your dining room table, your coffee table, your back patio to open up a spiritual conversation with them about who Jesus is and what He's done. You can give your life in 2019 to your waistline. You can give it to your net worth. But both both of those are going to burn. You know that? Not the souls of the men and women. The boys and girls that you share with and that you help shape as you live as one who said. Let's pray together. Father, today, We ask you for the grace that we need as we remember who we are. We remember why we're here. To be a part of this great mission that is unfolding before our eyes. Of seeing men and women from every tribe, nation, and tongue converted to faith in Jesus and baptized, taught to observe and obey everything that you've commanded us, their lives, their convictions, their character, their competencies shaped and built so there might be people who, who are then sent out to go into every sphere, every venue as one who's living with intention and purpose. That you would shake us from our boredom and apathy as we give our lives to something bigger than ourselves. We ask it in Jesus' name.